0: All these supplies have cottoned on to the expectations of chefs and restaurants in Newcastle. So early on, it, it influenced you in the fact that you just got what you got, whereas now it, you can get everything. So you're not really hamstrung by being in a regional town. You, you, the, the world's your oyster and the stuff you can get is as good as any other capital city in Australia.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There have been many restaurants closed during the last two years. The impact of the pandemic has affected many people and establishments in different ways. It's caused financial hardship, but also it's allowed people to think differently, see the world in a new light, and steer their careers and lives in a different direction. Chris Thornton is the former chef and owner of Restaurant Mason in Newcastle. Chris, how are you going?
0: Yeah, not about bad like yourself?
1: I'm good. After a decade of incredible influence in Newcastle, you've um, closed the doors on Restaurant Mason. Well, tell us about that decision.
0: Um, I mean, look, it, uh, it it was sort of like a, a bit of a, a bit of a crossroads. Um, unlike a lot of restaurants, we actually had um, we were very successful during COVID, um, and a lot of that came down to. Like the, the support we have from our our customers and our community, and all the commitment of our staff, so we we'd actually had we've had a quite a good um, few years, um, and then off the back of that, sort of you know when we weren't in lockdowns, it was just it was like Newcastle had never eaten at a restaurant before, so um, we we were very lucky to be very very busy. Um, and yeah, it, it, it sort of put us in a. well, prior to COVID, um, we'd bought into a second business, and and that had, that had uh, put us in a, a very bad financial position. Um, and we actually almost lost the restaurant prior to COVID. Um, and then yeah, with with our success of our takeaway and and, and stuff like that, we were able to to sort of save the restaurant and get into a position where. Um, yeah, sort of we didn't owe anyone any money and, and all of our liabilities were covered and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, that was sort of one of the decisions. I mean, you know, one of the, like restaurants very rarely get to shut of their own choice. Um, you know, they're usually forced to close and and uh, through, you know, no fault, liberal fault of anyone's usually leave a trail of, of debt and destruction. So that was one of them. Um, you know, our, our long-term... Front of house manager Antonio had, had decided that he, you know, had sort of got a, a bit too uh, a bit too old for hospitality and needed needed to break off his feet. Um, you know, the kids weren't getting any younger. Uh, it was our, our lease was up and it was time for us to um, sign a new long term lease if we wanted to. And I think just the, just a the general just a general feeling I think amongst the staff is a lot. Of, I've had a lot of my guys for for long periods, you know, for, for 10, eight, five, 6 years, that kind of stuff. And, you, you know, like, I, I, and we were extremely lucky in that part. And you could just see the general feeling was that it was, I think everyone needed, uh, like, just a refresher and something a bit different. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know. We just sort of, we we and arted about it for a while and, and then yeah, we just decided that, you know, let's 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 do this. Let's let's have a break. Um, and yeah, I mean I sat down one morning and, and that was pretty much it. We put we had a chat with the staff and and then put the post up and, and that was it. So yeah.
1: After the decision was made to close the restaurant, was it was it harder than you anticipated to go through the process and as as you wound down and closed the doors?
0: Um, I, I don't think hard's the right word. Um it, it was a long process like there was you know, obviously we've been an established business for so long um, there was a lot of things to do but um, you know i think i said before the, rest, the restaurant for me to the end um, you know we had to replace a freezer two weeks out and uh, the grease trap you know decided to have a bit of a conniption and um had a few staff down with injuries and babies and, and things like that but uh i, I think overall uh, the bird like most scrubbers were just enjoyable um, it was it was just it was like a weight had been lifted off everyone's shoulders, like not just mine and Amy's, but the staff as well. And they were like, hey, well, you know, this place has been at home for so long and this is the last time we're going to get to enjoy it. And that was, that was just the general feeling around Newcastle as a whole. And it was, you know, it was, I think, mainly because no one was worried about getting paid. Suppliers weren't worried about, you know, what's happening with their accounts and stuff like that. You know, so my wife wasn't getting hassled here at home. Um, it was just it was just positive vibes like people were just like yeah we want to get into mason one more time you know and i had old staff coming in just to do another shift and um yeah it was just it was just the most incredible experience and you know i I remember my last speech on the night because on the last night we did like a final supper have like you know vip guests or pretty much family and, and our direct family and some friends and stuff like that and um you know, I, we didn't realise how important the restaurant had, had become to a lot of people. Um, yeah, they, they had they had everything there from from birthdays. You know, we we we'd had people who'd come there on first dates and then got engaged, and then we catered their weddings, and they came for anniversaries and 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 yeah, it was just like it was just the most incredible, um, incredibly humbling and and positive experience. And yeah, that last that last week and that last night, like it just. You know, yeah, like it was. It was. It was. It was very emotional, but very, very positive at the same time.
1: Your influence on the Newcastle dining scene over the last decade has been extraordinary. How have you seen the dining landscape evolve during that time in Newcastle?
0: Uh, I mean, I've been. I've been even before like the restaurant. I did my entire apprenticeship in Newcastle, and um, you know, when I was coming through, there was really only us at Restaurant 2 with Pete Bryant, and then you had Backus as well. And then even when I opened the restaurant, it was the same thing. There was only sort of one or two. And then when Steve opened as well, there was three of us. And it was, it was sort of like there was there was us at the top, and then, you know, you sort of had your cafes and your pubs and things like that. And then you've just watched over the last, you know, decade, the just the filling in of everything in between. And I think that's come from an expansion of the expectations and the palate of the novakashian community um where you know the quality of food and coffee being served at cafes has skyrocketed you know you've got individual cuisines like you know you've got your japanese you've got your ethiopian you've got your mexican all those kind of stuff who are serving incredible quality you know your, your pubs are pushing towards that more gastro pub style food um, which is, you know, not just your standard snitty and $3 rum steak kind of stuff. So, I just, you know, there was always an extremely good couple of restaurants with really, you know, you, you think of like Tim Montgomery is an incredible chef, you know, Bo Vincent at, at, um, at Subo and Susie and that. Uh, and now it's, you know, like, you know, Shane at Flotilla and Mike at Humbug. Like, there was always some really good chefs and really good restaurants um, but, you know, you look you just look at everything else now and there's the entire food scene has just stepped up completely. So, yeah, you, know, you even look at like signal box, which is, it's, it's a heaving beast, but the quality of food that like George and that are putting out there, um, is just, yeah, it's just amazing.
1: I want to explore sort of what you did at restaurant Mason over, over that decade, but take us back to when you were young, what, what sort of role did food play in your family?
0: Um, I mean, look, mum was always a, a good cook, um you know it's i I haven't got your your sort of you know my nonna used to make all this kind of stuff because mum and dad emigrated here from England so it was only ever the four of us um like my brother and I were born over here um but there was only ever the four of us so we didn't have these huge family gatherings but you know mum was always an excellent cook. Um, she always tried different things, you know. I, I always remember her her fish and her white fish and parsley sauce, and you know she used to see lamb racks. And she tried different things, like you know, glazed with a bit of honey and cedar mustard. And um, you know, she always tried like baking the jam tart. So it, yeah, there was always we always enjoyed really nice, just really nice food at home. Um, and then, sort of when I went into high school, and we were picking you know, work experience and our modules and stuff like that, like hospitality was one of the first things just because I loved eating food. And, um, yeah, I think from that first moment of doing work experience, um, I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm hooked. I love cooking. And I, I sort of did that through high school um, and then sort of came time to go to university and um, I was sort of looking at like radiation therapy and stuff like that. And I just thought, oh, look, you know, I, I, I can't see myself ever sitting in front of books for the next five years, and I just, I just want to cook. I just, I just loved it. I just, you know, I know it sounds a bit weird, but I just love being a pirate in the kitchen. You know, we were, it was just, just cooking food, and you know, just, just carrying on, and you know, exploring your, your artistic side, and you know, the, the swearing and the carrying on, and the camaraderie and all this kind of stuff. I, looked, I said that that's where I want to be. Um, you know, my parents are super supportive of it, and the only thing that my dad said to me, he goes, I really don't care what you do, just, just, just be the best at it and um and yeah i just i just set out on this you know I'm, I'm gonna try and be the best um that that view of being the best changed you know down the track um but i was like you know I'm, I'm gonna find the best restaurant in newcastle and i'm gonna try this and then you know i was lucky enough to win the Brett graham scholarship so it was kind of one of the best restaurants in the world and then you know when i came back and did a few other jobs and I was like, you know, I'm I'm gonna open the best restaurant in Newcastle and, and that's what I'm gonna do. And um yeah, just sort of went on from there.
1: Take us back to those early years. Do you have any stories of what it was like in the commercial kitchens in Newcastle when you were getting started and and sort of what influence they had on on you?
0: Um I like definitely, definitely Pete Bryant at Restaurant 2. I did three of the four years of my apprenticeship with Peter. Um and you know, he was like, there was it was a family-run business. It was it was Pete and Therese. She did the front of house. She did like Pete did the kitchen. Um, and and it was sort of there. Uh, I was first introduced to the community aspect of a restaurant and how um, how Pete involved himself with his customers and how the customers. Reacted and, tr- and treated Pete and Therese, um, and yeah, that was really that was really cool. Just the respect that they had for him, and vice versa, and how he treated his customers. Um, and he was also a very kind chef, so, you know. He treated us really well in the kitchen as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, probably the, the biggest thing for that is that a lot of the customers that he introduced to to me at that restaurant then followed me to Restaurant 2 and, you know, there's um, there's a lady uh, who's now unfortunately no longer with this Mrs. Mellink and she was a regular customer of Restaurant 2 and actually had a heart attack on the stairs of Restaurant 2 and and she survived and that was cool. And then when we opened Restaurant 2, she was one of the first customers to come there. And, you know, I fed Mrs. Mellink the entire time and, and when we shut, we reached out to her to say we would like you to be there on our final night um and then you know we got an email back and unfortunately she'd passed away a week prior so yeah there's that's probably the biggest thing from early on in Newcastle it's just it's the community like the the people that I've been privileged enough to meet and to cook for um and to work with and to train and and all that kind of stuff like that I I don't think I'm not saying it doesn't happen in larger cities, but I don't think you would get that as much in larger cities. You know, I've had I've had customers that have eaten with me every Friday lunch for the last ten years, and and uh, and yeah, that was definitely the biggest thing <laughs> I reckon. So,
1: you mentioned winning the Brett Graham Award and and heading over to the UK. How different was working in the UK compared to what you'd experienced in
0: Australia? Oh. Massively. I, I thought the sun shined out my ass and I was the greatest thing going in cooking at the time. And then I, I, I got I got to London and, and, and Brett uh, Brett quickly informed me that that was definitely not the case. And and, it, 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 and it's exactly what I needed. I mean, I, I've, I'll say this until I'm blue in the face that uh, without the Leadbury, I would not be not just the chef but the person I am today. Um, you know, like, I mean, Brett taught me how to cook properly. Um, you know, and then you know, not just Brett, but all the guys there taught me how to operate at such a high stress level for such a long period of time without compromise that you know it it just changed the way i i it just changed the way I operate for the rest of my life in in not just cooking but just in everything you know there's yeah it was it was it was proper 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 kitchen then, so yeah. It was it, it. Yeah, that was it.
1: <laughs> Take us into the kitchen over there at the Ledbury. Do, do you have any stories of that sort of influence and what it was like being being on the line cooking there?
0: Um, yeah, it was it, it was hard. Like, I mean, I, I'd never experienced such a level of um, of perfection on what was expected at all times, and it wasn't just what you put on the plate. It was yeah. I don't think I've got any really individual stories. I mean, I've seen, I saw, I've witnessed Brett stack up twelve plates of food because he wasn't happy with one piece of mackerel. You know, he was prepared to sacrifice the entire table because one piece of mackerel wasn't perfect. Um, you know, and and your your fridges had to be perfect, and and you know your chives had to be perfect, and everything had to be perfect, and anything less was unacceptable. So yeah. Um, the, bi- the biggest thing I say is that there's there was 13 blokes in there at all time striving for perfection, working their asses off, um, and there's nothing else like it. And it's so inspiring and so terrifying all at the same time. When you came back
1: to Newcastle to open your own restaurant, was it was it hard sort of translating the experiences that you'd had over in the UK to for the Newcastle market and find your voice?
0: Um, uh, not really. I mean... Brett Brett's food is it, it's extremely translatable, um, and it's 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 the type of food that I've always based my cooking off. Is that it's not anything weird or you know brain melting. It is extremely good produce, cooked extremely well, um, and served at an extremely high level. So it was it was you know Brett's an castrian. so. You know, and, and the guys that he trained with in Sydney, like you look at their food of what, like you know, Justin North and Matt Kemp and all that, we doing at their restaurants. It's, it's just, it's just very high quality food. You know, it's nothing weird. It's just it it is cooked perfectly and just tastes delicious. So coming back to Newcastle, it was that's what I need to do. I just need to find the best stuff I can find, um, and just cook it the best way possible and just serve it to these people and hopefully they appreciate it and they did. So I was very lucky.
1: Tell us about the first couple of years with Restaurant Mason and um, developing the team and, and the offering. Was it, was it quite different to what it ended up being 10 years later?
0: It, yeah, the, the, start, the start was definitely hard. I mean, you know, it, it, I was pretty young. Um, and, and in hindsight, I was probably too young to open a restaurant. Um, you know, you're dealing with all these financial things that you never had to before, um, staffing and um, and just you just general expectations. Like, I, I, yeah, I was very lucky in the fact that a couple of staff that came with me, I'd worked with before and I trusted really well. Um, and that was sort of – that was Danny and Antonio, and I had them for the entire 10 years. So that took a massive portion of that restaurant. Like brain space, a way that I didn't need ever to worry about. So I was very lucky in that. But um, yeah, as far as the offering goes, I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably say it finished closer to what it started with than what it was in the middle, if that makes sense. Um, like I, I was, I was sort of thinking about this interview. I was the the evolution of our our good food, God hats probably. Um, those points dictated what we did with our food, funnily enough. So like, you know, at start, we were just doing what we could do with the team we had and what I felt comfortable with. Um, and we were lucky enough to be awarded a hat in our first year. Um, and then, you know, for a couple of years, we were like that. But I, I'd sort of gone on this path of like, I need to get better, I need to get better, I need to put more on the plate, I need to get better, I need to put more on the plate. And it, was, it sort of got to the point where, I don't know, I remember one day like looking at the food and what we were doing and going, this is this is too much. I, I feel like I've maybe lost my way a bit. Um, and then we lost the hat um, and that was actually kind of similar to um, showing the restaurant a bit of a weight off the shoulders. Um, we, we, did, we didn't, we lost it more for our call than we did anything else, but it was sort of like, okay, cool we haven't got a hat anymore so there isn't this expectation so i'm just going to cook what i want to cook from now on not what i think other people want to eat um so we just yeah we we just simplified not so much simplified the the food and what we did like made it easier we just we we focused more on the less things on the plate but a higher level of technique similar to what brett was doing with the library um and I, I i actually feel that we were cooking our best food towards the end of the restaurant because of that
1: do you have any examples that sort of exemplify this sort of clarity and understanding of your own cooking and um that you can tell us about
0: yeah so i mean there's 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 there's, there's two specific pork dishes so um, we had this one and it was like an Aski suckling pig. So all these different cuts with, you know, two different kinds of purees, two different kinds of vegetable garnishes and a sauce. Um, and then it had like a, like a crumble and had some herbs on it. Like it was just, there were so many touches on this plate and, and it was, it was a nice dish, but it was almost like a bit confused. Um, and then you fast forward a little bit and, we were just serving this really beautifully charcoal-grilled, you know, like immaculate cuisson pork cutlet um, with some cabbage that we just, like, from from one of our local growers that we just grilled and then glazed in honey and sesame um, and then a really traditional style, um, like a roux gravy with, like, heaps of perno and stuff through it. And, like, it was just so much more delicious than um than what the previous pork dish had been. But, you know, although we've taken bits off, we just focused on, okay, you know, I've got this amazing butcher in Brankston, hunger for meats now, so he can get me this the best local pork. I'm getting these incredible sugar loaf cabbages and I could have never got these cabbages, you know, four or five years ago. So let's let's use those and we'll respect them incredibly. And and then being able to have the staff take this Old school technique of a roux based sauce and translated into a relatively modern dish with modern chefs who had never seen anything like it before, um, yeah. It was just it was that kind of clarity then just flowed down to the rest of the dishes we did, you know. And, and it, it was kind of interesting. The more the more I looked at my food towards the end, the more I looked at it as what I'd fallen in love with at the Lebri when I'd worked there. Just yeah.
1: Yeah. You mentioned about when you were young, um, always wanting to be the best, but your views on being the best and success had changed as you got older. Can you tell us about that?
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Once again, very similar with like the the chef's hats. Um, you know, that mid sort of 2000, 2015, 16, 17, like I was really, I was really pushing it. Like I was, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to be named Young Restauranter of the Year. Yeah. Um, with Bianca for the Electrolux, you know, um, Appetite for Excellence. And then I was invited to do Pork Stars and all this kind of stuff like that. And and I suppose it, it almost came down to the birth of our first child and then priorities start to change. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard, like, I think once you become comfortable with yourself, and and this is taking nothing away from from people who succeed and who win. Like I look at Troy Rhodes Brown, and that 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 guy is one of the most incredible chefs, businessmen, and just blokes that I've ever met. Like I'm lucky to be called like to call him a, a great mate. And and looking at the trajectory that his career has taken and, and what he does with it is is incredible. But that's that's not for me. Like I I, I can't I can't aspire to something like that. Or like I don't know if I maybe don't have the the commitment or the aspiration for it, but um, I, I did early on. And then I look at sort of where I am now, and and success for me is is happiness. It's 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 spending time with my family. It's you know it's taking my kids to sport. It's you know seeing a smile on the face of an apprentice who has been given praise because he's cooked the most perfect scallop, and he's you know and um, or you know, being able to give one of my chefs the weekend off, and him being stoked with that, or you know, talking to the suppliers and not saying, "Yeah, no worries, man, I'll try and get that bill paid, or you know, just that last month in general, the restaurant, like for me, that was that was that was being the best. You know, it yeah, it went from being individual success to how can I just be the best at who I am, and that was yeah, that for me was much more fulfilling
1: a decade is an incredible amount of time for for a restaurant. Do, do you have any uh, fond memories or key moments um, that you can share about the last decade?
0: Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a, there's, yeah, there's a lot of fond memories. I mean, you know, it, I, I had a girl working for me for quite a few years and um, and she was, she was getting married to a Fijian guy. And, and there's a few issues in the family on her side. And, and, were, you know, and I remember her over overhear, overhearing her saying, um, I think we're just going to get married at the, at the marriage council office, wherever it is, um, first death and marriages. And just saying to her, like, you, you're not doing that. You, you're going to get married here and we're going to have a proper wedding and we're going to have food and everyone's going to enjoy themselves. Um, you know, being able to do that for her, was really memorable. Um, like I said, our, our first hat, our, you know, we did a massive renovation and expanded the restaurant. That was super memorable. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint a lot of individual um, memories. Like, I just I look at it as that restaurant gave us everything over the last 10 years. It provided us with, with, you know, with what we have. It, it introduced us to so many incredible people. Um, you know, I was able to, to sponsor my local sporting club. I was able to help charities. You know, I've, I've met, like, some of the guys I call my closest friends now. I wouldn't have met if I didn't have the restaurant. Like, I don't look at it as, like, individual memories. I'll just look at it as just... Ten years of the most incredible thing that I've ever done. So,
1: how does living in Newcastle influence what produce you use and, and what ends up on the plate?
0: Um, it, it used to it used to be is the, what you can get is what you can get. Um, it was very hard. It was hard back in the day. Um, guys did go to Sydney, um, but not as regularly as as sort of what uh, would have been good. So you were kind of limited to your basic stuff. Um, but then over the, over the last 10 years, like you've watched guys like yeah, Dylan from Newcastle Greens, Mick from Hungerford Meat Co., I mean, Basil at Chain Seaford, like all these supplies have cottoned on to the expectations of chefs and restaurants in Newcastle and um, and have changed have changed with the times and, you know, you can get, you get up in Newcastle now, the best duck and quail you can get in all of Australia. I mean, you ask, like, Charlie from Redgate Farm, a lot of his stuff is used all the way up and down the East Coast. You know, Dylan's stuff gets used in quite a lot of time in, in, in Sydney. Um, yeah, so early on it, it influenced you in the fact that you just got what you got, whereas now it, you can get everything. So you're not really hamstrung by being in a regional town. You, you've the, the world's your oyster, and the stuff you can get is as good as any other capital city in Australia. So
1: you've let go of uh, something that's been a big part of your life for the last ten years. What, what's what's the plans um, moving forward?
0: Um, yeah, so I've, I've got another another sort of profession that I've been working in for the last three years, um, but I've, I'm going to have a have a couple of months off from. I don't know, committed cooking. Uh, but, you know, there's plenty of friends around here that are going to need a hand over the next few few months. You know, and I've got a lot of favours that I think are going to be called in. So I dare say, you'll, like, you know, I, was, I was, did a shift at the, uh, the Mayfield West kebab shop the other day for my mates down the road and they were a bit short stark because of COVID and um, and things like that. But yeah, I've got, a, I've got a couple of charity events that I'll be doing, um, one or two private events that I've already got booked in. And then I think. You know, come maybe September, October, um, I'll start doing um, doing a few more sort of the in-house private events, which I was doing quite a lot of um, the last few years. Um, and then, yeah, who knows what the future holds. What do you love about what you do? Oh, just, just everything. Like, how can you not love being a chef and cooking? I mean, it's one of the most <laughs> – it is. It's one of the most enjoyable things <laughs> – that I've, I've ever, I've ever done, like, you know, been able to watch, been able to get a, you know, a whole duck in and break it down and then, and then, you know, dry aging it and then pan frying and then watching the enjoyment as it's being served and someone eating and then someone seeing you later and going, that was the most incredible duck. And then, you know, having been able to do that every day in a kitchen with your mates, having a good time, you know, and just, just being pirates and having fun. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. Probably, and, that, and that's probably the biggest thing I, I'm missing since since shutting the restaurant is it's it's just cooking. And I I do it here every night and I to cook for the family and stuff like that, but you know, nothing will ever compare to being in a room with six other blokes, you know, burning and cutting yourself and yelling profanities across the kitchen and, you know, throwing throwing peas at the pastry chef and, and stuff like that. So yeah.
1: Well, Chris, congratulations on um, what you built there in Newcastle and it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a bit of your story. Good luck with uh, what you have in the future and uh, keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: No worries, Huck. Thank you very much, mate. And, um, yeah, thanks for supporting Newcastle. So, cheers.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.